I have a message for tonight, but before we get in the message, guys, I, I want to intro, I want to introduce you guys to some of my friends. Um, I've been here on the island on and off since 2014, committed to our community since 2017, and in the past couple years, I've got to grow in real good friendship with uh, some of our friends that are here, known as the Kashayans. <laughs> Guys, can we give them, we, we have a youth group called TNT, stands for Tuesday Night Training, but it's all about the explosive power of God. That's, that's the focus, is how many things can we blow up in the spirit realm? And, and I, and I want to invite you guys, TNT and Kamaina, can we give them a proper chi as a welcome to the island? Can we just chi them in? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, now you've been welcomed by the Kashayans to the island. Guys, we've been uh, rolling together for a couple years now. Just a quick testimony. A couple years ago, we went to a neighborhood. And I was telling them, like, guys, this gospel, we can really all do it. You can be four, you can be five, you can be six, and you can pray for the sick and they'll get healed. You can pray for demon-possessed people and watch them get free. It doesn't matter how old you are because it's not about you, it's about him in you. And I was like, bro, we can, we can go. Like, you guys want to see this? And they're like, let's go. So we end up going to a neighborhood, and we literally just start banging on every door in the neighborhood. Boom, boom, boom. We're here to preach the gospel to you. We hit all, I think it was 124 units in an hour and a half. Literally, we blitzed that neighborhood. Here in, here in Kona, just a little bit up the hill, we saw 16 people give their life to Jesus in that hour and a half. There were testimonies of people blowing back under the power of God in their living rooms, having no idea what happened in their home. And at the end of the night, we gathered at a cul-de-sac at the end of the street. And we're sitting there worshiping Jesus, thanking him for all 16 of those souls that said yes to him and over 100 that heard about him. And we're sitting there giving him glory. And a drunk guy comes running into the middle of our worship circle, butt crack hanging out, no underwear on like Jeans are wet, no socks, no shoes. And he said he was in the shower and he heard an audible voice in the shower speak out loud and say, run out in the middle of the street. You need what those people are carrying. He couldn't even hear us. He had no idea what was going on. He comes running out. He's, he's in the shower, so he doesn't even dry off. He pulls jeans over his waist and comes running out in the middle street, sees a bunch of people, asks one of the Kashians, what are you guys doing? And they said, you want to know? Run in that middle of that circle and you're going to meet Jesus. The guy comes sprinting into the middle of the circle, throws his hands in the air. He's, he's weeping and screaming and begins to repent, gives his life to Jesus and gets set free from a spirit of alcoholism and a spirit of addiction in that moment. I believe that every youth group in the world should look like that every week. <laughs> I don't think outreach needs to be once a year. I think it needs to be once a week where we just go after God breaking out in power. Oh, man. Jesus, we give you all glory tonight. Everything, it's about you. Jesus, thank you that you're the God that speaks. You're the God that hears. You're the God that loves. 
You're the God that comforts. You're the God that heals. You're the God that delivers. Lord, thank you that you saved us from worshiping statues and things that are useless, dumb, deaf, wood, metal, and will end up in the trash one day. Lord, you saved us from that reality, and you saved us into your reality. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for that, Jesus. And tonight, Jesus, we just ask for your presence, not a tingle. We don't want goosebumps. We don't want tears. We want the person of Jesus Christ to manifest in this room. We're asking for the presence of the person Jesus tonight. And Holy Spirit, I'm just asking, shut Frenchie up and move through me with power. Like anything Frenchie has in the flesh to say, burn it in unquenchable fire. Holy Spirit, we're asking tonight that you would come and you would deliver the word, possess me and use me as your vessel. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, come on. Guys, I'm so excited for tonight. Yesterday was my birthday and it was so awesome to celebrate with you guys. <laughs> I'm 34 years old. It's crazy. I'm not really 84. I know some of you guys believe me, but I'm not 84. I'm 34. Um, guys, my, my birthday is, I'm going to be honest with you. Can, can, can we just like keep it raw? Is that cool? Like, are you guys cool with me just being raw? I, I know like Gen Z doesn't really want like fabricated, manufactured plastic. You guys want the real, the raw, like you want it how it is, right? Am I, am I talking to the right crowd? Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. My, my birthday's been hard for me for 11 years. <laughs> my nieces are here. My nieces know. My dad died two days before my birthday when I was 22. And it's, it's never been the same. It's never been the same. It's hard. Like, every year for my birthday, I, there's this part of me that wants to celebrate, and then there's this part of me that just wants to go to my room and be alone because I'm actually heartbroken over the fact that my dad's not around. It's crazy. And, and, you know, this is some of the turmoil that I, I experienced yesterday throughout my birthday. It makes my emotions roller coaster. And, you know, when, when I reflect on my dad and, and, and the fact that I lived 22 years on earth with a father. Guys, I'm going to be real honest with you, man. Like, I started doing drugs when I was 14 years old. When I was 14 years old, started smoking weed. When I was 15, I started snorting coke. I was super addicted to drugs. I didn't graduate high school. I got kicked out for possession of cocaine, started injecting with needles when I was 18 because I was so depressed. I hated my life. I felt like a failure. I felt like a loser. I was suicidal. I was depressed. And, and the unfortunate reality, guys, is I was so ashamed of my sin. I was so ashamed of my addiction that when my dad wanted to be my friend, I would run from him because I was embarrassed of him knowing what I did behind his back. And so my dad would try, like he tried so hard. He'd be like, son, let's go fishing. I'm like, I don't want to hang out with you, man. I, I, I don't want to hang out with you. And the, really the only reason I didn't want to hang out with him was because I was ashamed. Because I knew if he finds out what I do behind his back, he, he might be ashamed of me. He might be angry with me. He might hit me. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen if he finds out. He's going to kill me if he finds out that I'm shooting up drugs and doing all these crazy things and robbing people. Like, what is he going to think about me? And so when my dad tried with all of his heart to be my friend, I did everything within my power to push him away. 
Guys, I stand here before you today as an older brother in the faith. And I unfortunately have to say, for 22 years of my life, my father tried to be my friend and I never let him. Every year it sucks. Every year it sucks because I know how hard he tried. Come on, let's go to the movies. I don't want to go to movies with you. What do you want to do? Come on, let's go to the beach. I, I don't want to go to the beach with you. I want to go with my friends because I wanted to go get high. I remember when my father passed away, I made a commitment in my heart. I met the, I met the Lord years later, and I'll share a little bit of that, about, about that tomorrow. But when I met God, when I met the Father, I realized I don't have to be fatherless anymore. I don't have to live the rest of my life without a father. I actually have a father. God is my father. But I made a commitment. I made a commitment to the Lord. I said, God, I lived 22 years of my life with no relationship with my earthly father. I lived 22 years of my life with my dad giving his guts to be my friend, and I never gave him the time of day. I said, God, I will give the rest of my life to making sure that people don't do that to you. I will give every day of the rest of my life to make sure that people don't do to you what I did to my father on earth, that they don't push you away because of the shame of their sin, that they don't push you away because they'd rather be cool to their friends instead of being cool to the creator. And so tonight, guys, at the end of my message, there's gonna be an invitation. Tonight, you will get to make a decision. And so as I'm sharing this story, I want you to be meditating on whether or not you're willing to say yes to the decision I'm going to give you to make at the end of this. Because this is literally what my heart burns for, guys, is would people know him? You see, I believe that on judgment day, many people that call themselves Christian will go to hell. Because I called myself a Christian while I was using drugs. While I was stealing from people. While I was aborting kids. While I was doing horrible things, I called myself a Christian. And I believe that there are Maybe tens of thousands. I don't know how many. But I believe that there are many people. Can I read you a verse? You guys okay? I know, I know I'm coming a little heavy, guys, but you said I could keep it real. Can I keep it real? Is this cool with you guys? There's this verse in Matthew 7. It says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is red letters in the Bible. This is Jesus talking. He says this. 
Not me. Don't quote me. Quote Matthew chapter 7. And so, guys, I want to share with you tonight the message that will make sure that this is none of our realities. It's called the gospel. The gospel is the good news. Guys, it's the best news. It's the best news. You see, the, the gospel is, it's this shared in a very short version. It's this story right here. This story, this book, when you start at the beginning, it starts with God the creator, his son, the Holy Spirit, creating man in their image and in their likeness. Think about this. My dad and my mom, when they gave birth to me, I look, I look just like them. I've seen pictures and I'm like, it's creepy how much I look like the both of you. It's weird. But when I came out, they saw me and they saw themselves in me. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're, you're my son, mijo. You're my son. You look like you have my ears, you have my, my hair, you have my, my cheeks, you have my eyes. Oh, look, you look like me. You're mine. Can you imagine, guys, the day you have a baby and you look at it, it looks just like you. How much is your heart going to explode with obsessive love for that baby? And you're like, there is no denying that you're mine. You look just like me. Guys, this is how God feels about us. He looked at, we were made in his image and in his likeness. He's looking at us going, oh my gosh, I'm so obsessed with you. Look at you. You look just like me. You're the cutest thing. Now, look, 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 check out how crazy this is. He could have made us look like anything. He could have made us look like gorillas. He could have made us look like zebras. He could have made us look like ostriches. He could have made us look like blowfish with legs. But what did he choose to make us look? He made us look like the most perfect thing that exists. The only perfect thing that exists. Himself. We're created in the image of perfection. And when he sees us, guys, that same feeling that we, you and I, are going to have over a child that we Gave birth to one day, and we were like, oh my gosh, I am so in love with you. One more, I want to kiss your cheeks off of your head. You know what I'm talking about? Who's ever had cute aggression? You're just like, you're like, I don't know why, but I'm going to bite you. Guys, this is the love that God has for us. That's literally how he looks at you. And, and you know, Jeff has kids, and I, I guarantee Jeff's looking, Jeff looks at his kids, and he's like, oh, my gosh, like, oh, I'm going to do everything I can to fight off the enemy off your life. Man, I'm sure he has, like, I'm sure there's not a second of his life where he's not popping, his children not popping into his head. It's the same way he thinks about you. The Father thinks about us all day, every day. You know, Revelation 3.20, it says that he's knocking on the door. (laughs) 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I'll have supplication with me. And, and he can have supplication with me and I'll have supplication with him. What does that mean? He's so obsessed with this, guys. He's literally knocking on the door of our heart going, can I have a minute with you? And we're like, okay, five minutes. And then we give him five minutes. And after those five minutes are up, he's going, can I have another minute with you? And we're like, okay, and we give him our little cute hour Christian cookie cutter quiet time in the morning. And then as soon as that hour's up, he's going, can I have another minute with you? Can I have another minute with you? We're like, okay, five more minutes. Can I have another minute with you? Just one more. Come on, one more minute, one more. Guys, he never stops banging on the door of our heart asking, can I have one more minute with you? That letter's written to the church. That's for us. He's literally going, boom, boom, boom. Another minute, please. Come on. Let me tell you how much I love you. Oh, man, let me tell you how beautiful you are. Let me tell you how proud I am of you. Oh, gosh, let me tell you what, what kind of crazy things you're capable of doing in your life with me living inside of you. He's banging, desperately asking, can I have another minute? But just like I did to my father on earth, we begin to do to him. Oh, man, I, I, I looked at this website last night. God, he probably hates me. He's going to kill me. Oh, he's probably so disappointed in me. And just like Adam and Eve, we begin to run from God instead of to God. Thinking, oh, maybe if I run far enough, I'll be able to clean up my life and come back when I'm a little bit more put together. You know who's waiting on this side for you to do that? That snake. Yeah, come on. I'll help you fix things on your own strength. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can totally do it without him. Come here. I'll help you. And we fall into shame. We fall into self-hatred and fear. We fall into condemnation, performance, perfectionism. And we're trying to do it in our own strength. And let me tell you something, guys. It's not possible. You know what it does? It leads us further down the rabbit hole of sin. I'm here to tell you because I know 12 years I was addicted to cocaine, methamphetamine, and heroin. I've been to jail like 10 times. I've been to rehab multiple times. Trying to do it on your own will lead you to the next trap. And this is crazy, guys. I, I want you to know, in the middle of your sin, God does not stop loving you. He hates your sin. And you're like, no, but, but my sin is me. No, I'm sorry. If you smoked crack, you are not crack. Your sin does not define you. You are not your sin. And whatever lie society told you, I'm here to break it and say that is a lie. He loves you. And we run from him. He's like, just come. I have the solution. Medication will not heal your depression. It'll only numb it. Come to me. Medication will not take away your anxiety. It'll bury it deeper. Come to me. It's just going to numb it. It's like putting Band-Aid on your body when you have cancer in your soul. 
It's not going to heal it. The only one that can heal the inside of us is Jesus. And guys, let's just call it what it is. It's sin. Sin. You, you want to hear another crazy verse? I'm just going to read crazy verses. You guys cool with that? You guys, you guys cool with like the Bible stabbing you? I, I, like the Bible says it's a sword. I'm like, Lord, stab me, slice me in half, cut me into pieces. If I can look more like Jesus, shred me alive. Just bring it. Check out this verse. These, I, I like reading the verses that people like to skip. And it's like, oh, that one didn't tickle me. I don't think I like that one. <laughs> Check this out. This is crazy. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. But whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What does that mean? That means there's an old evangelist, George Whitfield. He said this if you are stuck in cycles of sin, it's most likely that you have not been saved yet. Because salvation doesn't just mean you die and go to heaven. It means you're saved from the cycles of sin that are destroying your life while you're on the earth. French, are you telling me that if I sin that I'm a son of the devil? I'm telling you, if you practice sin, you're a son of the devil. Well, what's the difference? Well, if I sin, like me, I sin all the time, but then I get up and I repent and I go, I don't think so. You don't have power over me. Now today, you're going to bow down to Jesus as I punch you in the face. But the other side is, oh, I don't think I can conquer this, so I'm just going to stay comfortable here because it feels good here and I'm just going to let it stay. And then I'm going to practice this sin really good for a long time and I'm going, to get, I'm going to become a professional at my sin because I've been practicing and anything you practice for long enough, you'll become a professional at. So now I know how to delete websites for my, for my history browser. I know how to hide my vape inside my shoe. I know, how to, I, know how to, I know how to sell things and not get caught. I have become now a professional sinner. Ding, ding, ding. There you go. Now you're what Bible calls the son of a devil. Welcome to the demonic side. Now, French, are you telling me that I'm a son of the devil? Well, I think this just told you. Judge yourself. The Bible's telling you. <laughs> Guys, why does God hate sin? Because it's what destroys his children. If a baby is running out in the middle of the road and I go, okay, um, be careful. There might be cars. And I just watch as a car slams that baby dead. I am not loving. And society wants to convince you it's more loving to watch and keep your mouth shut than to open your mouth and save lives. Why am I telling you this? Because I love you. Why does God hate your sin? Because he loves you. Why does God hate sin? Because he knows that if sin is not repented of, 
There is a destiny for those that don't repent and it's called an unquenchable fire, a lake of fire called hell where you will end up forever. Well, I don't believe in that. Then you don't believe in the Bible. Well, how could a loving God send people to hell? Well, the same way that there were angels up there and they sinned and he sent them down and they're destined for there too. Is he loving? 100%. That's why he never stops extending his arms. Come on, is this okay? You want me to sugarcoat it for you? Look, hell is very real, guys. There is this demonic lie running rampant around our nation saying that hell is not real. And I feel bad for the people that are preaching that because they're going to be held accountable for the millions of people that they told you can stay in your sin and still get in. I refuse to lie to you. I refuse. But guys, this is the truth. 2 Peter 3.9. It says, God's desire is that none would perish, but all would have eternal life. That's what God wants. 2 Peter 3.9 says it. His desire is that everybody would make it to heaven. That's his heart. It says, he's not taking long to come back as we suppose. He's actually giving us more time so that more of us can repent. See, if I was God, I would have hit reset a long time ago. I would have sent everybody to the lake of fire, if I'm honest. I'm just honest. With all the murder, all the war, all the hatred, I would have done Noah's Ark like a hundred times by now. But God is merciful, way more merciful than you and I will ever be. And he's loving. That's why his arms are extended saying, hey, come. I will save you from your sin. I'll save you from those things that you know you shouldn't be doing, that you're hiding from everyone around you. I'll save you. You know, this crazy thing. Some people say, well, I believe in God. Yeah? Congrats. James chapter 2 verse 9 says that even the demons believe that there's one God. The Passion Translation says they believe that there's one God and they remain unchanged. I'm not asking you if you believe in God. I'm asking you, have you laid down your life? You see, because in the midst of all these things I'm sharing with you, I know some of you are like, just tell me what to do, man. You're like shaking in your seat right now. I'm ready to get this thing out of me. There's hope. It's good news. It's good news, guys. The Bible says we've all fallen short. So I'm not here to tell you you're guilty. I'm here to say we're guilty, but there's a way out. You see, think about this. God, almighty God, the creator of galaxies and the universe and everything that exists, decided to leave his throne and come to our world. He laid everything down. He surrendered everything. Think about it. He surrendered heaven to come down here. 
I, I'm going to be honest, I would never leave heaven for you. I wouldn't do it. Would you? It's like perfect up there. Why would I leave that? Especially to a people that didn't deserve it. The Bible says we were enemies of God. And still he came. He, he laid down the perfection of heaven to come into our world. For what? To make another religion? <laughs> no, are you kidding me? There was already tons. Religion is not the solution to the world. If it was, the world would be fixed. Jesus did not die on the cross to make a religion. He died on the cross so that we could know him. We could have a relationship with him. Guys, think about this. God, creator of the universe, comes down. And he's perfect. He has no sin in his life. And people aren't like, oh my gosh, you're so holy. It's amazing. I'm proud of you, Jesus. You know what they say? You're a son of the devil. He's like, what? How am I a son of the devil? I just casted a demon out of someone. A house divided itself against itself is going to fall. What are you talking about? And they're like, oh my gosh, you opened someone's blind eyes on Sunday? You're demonic. You're evil. He's like, what? Are you kidding me? If your sheep runs away, you're going to go catch it on Sunday? How are you going to tell me that I'm evil because I opened a guy's blind eyes on a Sabbath? And people judge him. They gossip about him. They bully him. They spit on him. They mock him. And us, his very own creation, instead of welcoming him into our world, we said he wasn't real. He wasn't God. His power was fake. He can't really heal. He can't really cast demons. He can't really do, he can't, that's not really God. We denied him. And then, he does all these amazing miracles, raising paralyzed people back to walking, raising dead people back to life. And at the end of his life, he gives his life for us. And we get him. And we whip him. 39 lashes across his back with a whip with nine pieces of leather and shards of glass and scraps of metal tied to the ends of it. They have him bend over, guys. And they're literally going, whoosh. And as they pull, flaps of flesh are spitting blood all over the place. This is not some cute little Easter service Sunday crucifix that you've seen at church. This is a brutal murder. Sometimes we undervalue what he actually did. This is infinitely worse than the electric chair. 39 times. And they're laughing at him. And they take inch-long thorns and stab his head all the way around with inch-long thorns. And it's causing his head to begin to swell. You know, the book of Isaiah says he was unrecognizable when he died. He did not look like that cute picture that we see at church. I guarantee you, he probably looked like an alien by the time he was dead. His head began to swell. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone die. Your limbs begin to swell like roadkill on the side of the road when it inflates. They're sitting there stabbing his head, whipping him down the back. Take a 200-pound cross, heavier than that one, and they make him drag it through sand in over 100-degree weather. 
And they're not like, yeah, come on, Jesus, you're doing a great job, man. We want to encourage you, bro. High five. Come on, keep going. You're doing great. They're sitting there punching him. Hey, if you really are a prophet, tell me who this one is. If you really are a prophet, who's this? Boom. And they're taking turns beating the life out of the only one that actually has loved us unconditionally. And he finally gets, can't even carry it anymore. He's dehydrated. He's weak. And they grab him. And they have this guy help. They drag the cross for him. And they tie him down on it. And they begin to stick metal through his bone. He's God, guys. He could have gone, I finished this right now. Boom, and destroyed everybody. You understand that, right? But he endured for you. They put the other hand down. Sorry, I forgot these are expensive. Hope I don't break it. Sorry, Jeff Willicky. I repent. Forgot. Guys, they begin to jab metal through his limbs, through his hands, through his feet. Some of us cuss, and no one's even doing anything bad to us. He's sitting there enduring the most painful thing ever. And all he says is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Father. They don't understand. Brutally murder him. He takes his last breath, and with his last couple breaths, he forgives a thief next to him on this cross. Guys, this is not some cute story, man. Every other religion says, come and do stuff as sacrifice for your God. Our God came and sacrificed for us. And it gets crazier. Colossians 3 in the Passion Translation says he goes down to Hades to take the keys back that Adam gave him. Snatches those keys back. He's like, these don't belong to you. These belong to my children. He gets the keys back from Hades. <laughs> Colossians 2 says in Passion Translation that he makes a public display. He makes a mockery out of the demonic. Literally goes and takes the keys back. Can you imagine? Jesus dies on the cross. Satan in the demonic army is like, we win. We win. We killed the son of God. We killed the one that we saw when we used to live in heaven. We killed him. We win. We win. And all of a sudden, this is what the Bible says. That Jesus takes his last breath and his spirit he says, Father, I give you my spirit. <sighs> he gives his spirit. And your sin nature on the inside of you, that thing that makes you want to sin, he took it from you and put it in himself. And if you say yes to him, he puts his spirit inside of you. It's the most unfair exchange that's ever existed. Well, I haven't really sinned that bad. Well, my Bible says if you've sinned once, you're guilty of all sin. 
well, I've never like done drugs or like killed anybody. Okay, well, my Bible says in the Old Testament, if you commit adultery, you cheated on your spouse. But it says in the New Testament by the mouth of Jesus that if you even look at someone lustfully, you already sinned. You already committed adultery. The Old Testament says if you kill someone, you're guilty of murder. You know what Jesus said? If you hate someone, you're already guilty of murder. Sin will ruin you. It will ruin your marriage one day. It will ruin your children's lives one day. It will ruin your friendships. It will ruin your friendship, your relationship with your parents. It will ruin your relationship with God. It will ruin everything. It is demonic and destructive in nature. And Jesus made an unfair exchange. He said, hey, I paid your ticket. I know you deserve wrath and judgment. You deserve eternal fire. But if you say yes to me, I'll give you my spirit and I'll take your sin nature and I'll put it in me. Oh, all of a sudden he takes all of our sin nature and you know what happens? <laughs> this part of the Bible's crazy. He needed to get those keys back from Hades. All of a sudden, because your sin is now on him, scripture says he became sin on our behalf. He became sin. Suddenly, he has access granted to go grab those keys from Hades. And the enemy is celebrating. The demons are celebrating, saying, we killed the son of God. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. And they're like, ah! The demons are shrieking, and they're terrified, and they're running. And he goes, give me the keys back. And he grabs the keys to Hades. And he says, now all of you begin to march in defeat today you lose! You see, Jesus does not win one day. Jesus won 2,022 years ago on Calvary. And three days later, here he comes. Boom! Boom, back into our world, raised from the dead because the devil cannot contain him. Death cannot destroy him. Sickness cannot hold him. Hell cannot swallow him. He is almighty, powerful God. He is not dead. He conquered the grave. He conquered death. And today, he can conquer your sin. Here's what people say to me. Well, I'm a sinner because of Adam. Oh, really? So Adam is more powerful than Jesus. Is that what you're saying to me? That Adam has more power than Jesus? A, a human that sinned is more powerful than a God that lived holy on earth. Because maybe Adam sinned. But if you give your life to Jesus today and you surrender everything, I'm not asking you to, to put a little tree house in your heart. I'm asking you to give him everything. I'm not, asking him, I'm not asking you to give him today. I'm asking you to give him eternity. And I'm telling you, Adam is not more powerful than Jesus. If you give everything in you to Jesus today, 
He will give everything in him to you today. He will put that spirit that raised him from the dead inside of you. And it's no longer just you trying to fight sin. It's the king of glory stomping on it. Here's my invitation to you. There's three stories in the same chapter of Luke. The prodigal, the, the sheep that ran away. That's a metaphor for lost people. They never knew in the first place. They're just lost. They didn't have parents. They didn't have family. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have anything. Those people are all over. They know nothing. And it says, Jesus leaves the 99 for that one and finds them in the thorns and the thistles, removes the stuff from their coat, washes them white as snow, and says, welcome back to the herd. Welcome to the family. Welcome home. Maybe tonight, this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel. Maybe you have parents that have told you about Jesus, but they're addicted, they're alcoholic, they're abusive. I am sorry. I'm sorry for someone that told you that you can live like that and call yourself a Christian. I'm sorry you were lied to. I'm sorry. You cannot live like that and call yourself a Christian. It's hypocrisy. And I'm sorry if that's what you've been exposed to. If there's hurt in your heart because people call themselves Christians and they did stuff to you that shouldn't have been done to you. I'm sorry. There's another story in that same chapter. Oh. And it says that this woman loses a coin in her house. Guys, this story's talking about the church. It's the bride of Christ and it's his house. Some of you guys grew up in church and you've heard this story hundreds of times, but you're still a lost coin inside of the church. You're still bound by sin. You're still a slave to sin. You are not free. Maybe your parents are missionaries. Maybe your parents are pastors. I don't care. Their salvation does not give you access to the kingdom. It is a personal relationship with God. And maybe this is you. Maybe you've lived in church your whole life. Maybe you were born in a church. But you know, man, I'm lost. I know when to stand up and put my hands up. I know when to jump. I know when to scream. I know the routine. But I know on the inside, Frenchie, I'm lost. I do not know him. I know church. I do not know Jesus. I know Christianity. I do not know the man, the king of glory. I know this religion. Today, there is a call for you to come home. And the last one in that passage is the prodigal son. We know the story. He ran away, went to go party, went to do all this dumb stuff. He knew who his father was. But like me, I chose to run. 
In that story, it says that when that son came home, the father did not punish him. The father did not beat him. The father did not ground him. It says that the father ran to him. And it says it picked him up off the ground. He began to kiss his neck over and over. Mwah, mwah, mwah. I love you. Mwah, 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 mwah. And he's kissing him and he says, son, come on. Let's throw a party. Give him a ring. Give him new shoes. Give him some new clothes. Go fill the, go kill the fattest calf we have today. We're celebrating the return of my son. Maybe you grew up in this thing, but you walked away. Today, God is calling you home. Come on, I see the Holy Spirit touching some of you guys already. Telling you this. Today, for those of you that come up, you're about to have a funeral. You're about to have a funeral. I hope you're ready. I'm not inviting you to this cute little high-five pancake sandcastle Christianity. I'm inviting you to lay your life down. Meaning you're probably going to lose your friends. You're probably going to lose your reputation. You're probably going to lose your job. Your I don't care what you're going to lose. Is he worth it? Yes or no? That's all that matters. If one of these three stories resonates in your heart and you know God's calling you home today, I don't want to invite you to an altar call. I want to invite you to Jesus. Maybe you're like, Frenchie, I've been to hundreds of altar calls. Yeah, maybe you met the altar. Today you're going to meet Jesus. If this is you tonight and you're ready for your old life to get buried, Romans 6 says, he will co-crucify you. Your old life will die. But you know what you get on the other side? A resurrected life. Born again. Brand new. White as snow. Cleansed from the inside out. Power over sin. Oh, a love that is undeniable. If that's you, I want you to run on up. If that's you, I want you to run up. Don't waste time. I'm not going to count down. Three, two, one. You already know if this is you. Just run up here. Don't waste time. If this is you, just run up. Run up. Come on. If this is you, run up. We're gonna need a fill in. There's a lot of people coming. Come on. Come on. Come on. Guys, I want you to say goodbye to your old life. There's no going back. There's no going back. Today, your old you dies. And today, you're gonna raise in Christ. Today, your old you is about to get buried nailed to a cross with Jesus and you're going to get a brand new life you your old you is about to get buried forgotten and you're going to have a brand new life a brand new journey holy 
We're going to pray in a minute. And you know what's going to happen? Jesus is going to take your sin nature out of you. And he's going to nail it to the cross. And you know what he's going to put in you? Holiness. He's going to put in you righteousness. He's going to give you a gift that says righteous, pure, holy, cleansed, washed, forgiven. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? I'm telling you right now, when I got born again, I was a drug addict one day. And the next day I woke up sober and I've been sober for eight years this September. This is not hypothetical. Are you ready? Are you ready for your funeral? There was four people ready. Are the rest of you guys ready? Come on, let's pray this out, guys. I'm going to leave a minute of just silence. I want you to repent. You know what your sin is. I don't. Let's just begin to tell the Lord, I repent. Father, I repent for choosing sin over choosing you. Father, I repent for the addictions. Father, I repent for the bullying of other people. Father, I repent for for gossip. Father, I repent for lying. Father, I repent for all the horrible things I've done. Father, I repent for, for caring more about what people think than about pleasing you and doing what you're asking me. Father, I repent for playing games with church. I repent for playing games with you. I repent. I repent, God. Come on, let's pray this together. Say, Father, thank you for loving me first. I repent for every sin I've ever done. I repent for wearing a mask, for playing church. I'm sorry. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me Jesus thank you for paying what I deserve I recognize I deserve to go to hell thank you for dying for me for paying my price you surrendered everything today Jesus I don't hold anything back I surrender everything to you. All of my life. All of my sin. All of my past. All of my future. I surrender it to you, Jesus. I give it all to you, God. Today, I declare my old life dies. And today, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your salvation. I am born again. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. You conquered the devil. And I'm asking, conquer my sin. Come into my life. Holy Spirit, possess me. Fill me. Use me. Convict me. Change me. All of my life belongs to Jesus.